0: Welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witz University in Johannesburg, who is back after a wonderful three week hiatus uh, sunning himself in beautiful uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Welcome back, uh, Kobus. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about clearly one of the most sensitive subjects that has popped up onto our radar in a very long time. Kobus, over on our LinkedIn page, where we've got some uh, 360,000 folks uh, rarely do topics pop out in much a way that you know we post every day, and there's a general kind of consistency in how many likes and how many comments and then we posted an article about learning Mandarin, and boy, oh boy, did that set off just alarm bells with people and it was it was absolutely fascinating because I didn't really think that this would be the topic that would touch such a raw nerve about teaching mandarin in african schools you know give me some insight as to why you think this is such a sensitive topic
1: in the first place there's obviously all of this historical trauma of, of african languages being stripped of their power and you know um, being eroded essentially by the imposition of colonial languages through the years french portuguese in english of course um so that that's Pain goes back centuries. In the second place, there's a lot of discussion in Africa at the moment, especially in South Africa, of how local languages have to be how value should be added to local languages. you know. So there's a, there's a lot of questions being asked about why are we still speaking English and why are local languages not being used more? Um, and of course this brings out a whole bunch of, of issues around who speaks what and who can't speak what. And so throwing in Chinese into this environment and especially around a lot of anxieties about Chinese influence in Africa, I think means it's it's such a hot topic.
0: The article is Chinese should be t- taught in African schools. It was written by Mark Kapchanga, a journalist based in Nairobi, Kenya, who writes for the Global Times newspaper, which is a Chinese newspaper. And uh, Mark, welcome back to the program. It's a thrill to have you on the
2: show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys too. So
0: listen, 56,000 views, uh, y- over 350 likes, 75 comments. That is about five to six times what we normally get for an article. Give us your case as to why you think Chinese should be taught in African schools. Make your argument.
2: Well, uh, I got motivated into writing this article based on uh, uh, an exchange program I've been having with some university students in in Beijing. And particularly, the key motivation came from uh, the Communication University of China, which is based in Beijing. I had a visit in the university around November 2015, and what I what really got me inspired was the fact that uh, uh, some African languages were being taught in that particular university. And I took an example of uh, a Nigerian uh, local language called Yoruba, which is taught in that uh, university. But of particular concern to me was uh, Swahili language. Which is widely spoken in East and Central Africa, particularly in Tanzania, in Kenya, Uganda, uh, in Rwanda, and some parts of South African countries. What I noticed at the Communication University of China is that uh, Swahili has been there, Swahili department has been there since 1969. Mm -hmm. And it is not just in the Communication University of China where I realized that uh, the Chinese were actually learning uh, local languages. It took some time and went. To the industrial side of Beijing, and uh, I got an opportunity to visit uh, the Star Times. And at the Star Times, they also had uh, a particular department dealing with African languages, and Swahili was one of the key languages that uh, these guys were actually uh, propagating to be aired in their television stations in Africa. So this got me got 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 into my mind a number of questions. I came to. I came to to ask myself why is it that the, most of African uh, people are just learning uh, the, the the traditional uh, Western languages like English, like French, like Spanish, like German, and not uh, embracing uh, other languages that are uh, coming from Asian con- a continent like uh, Japanese or Chinese. And it is not just uh, learning this languages. What I realized, what really got into my mind, too, again, is that um, if you remember what Nelson Mandela, the former uh, South African president once said, that he said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. The Chinese have realized that for them to penetrate even further and embrace uh, uh africans in their forays they have to learn their local languages and that's why swahili and uh, yoruba are being taught in chinese uh, chinese universities for that matter and so if we were to embrace this uh, symbiotic relationship that uh, we want to create between africa and china then it is up to africa too to learn the chinese language and that's why i pushed for this article to run and i look forward to writing more of these articles
1: I was struck by the fact that, as you mentioned, most of the article is about Chinese learning African languages, but the headline was about Africans learning Chinese. Do you feel that those two are essentially the same thing, or or are the two experiences different because of the different kind of power dynamics involved?
2: I tend to think they're almost the same, because uh, if you look at the relationship that uh, Africa wants with China, it's not a one-way relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship where both parties benefit. We don't want a situation where we experience what we experience with the Western countries, for that matter, where there was some form of asymmetric kind of relationship. And since it's a symbiotic relationship where everyone gets what he deserves, the benefits for that matter then it means that we have a role to play as Africans and China too has a role to play in, on its part so that we have our harmonization in terms of learning each other's languages. Yeah. Let, me,
0: let, let me read a quote before we get into some what I think are going to be the most interesting questions of our show today. Uh, and I'm going to let me read a Ooh. quote from your article. The biggest challenge ahead now is for the Chinese to take a step and start teaching Africans their language today most Africans speak Western mm. languages such as French, German, and English, thanks to the colonialists. It is time too for the Chinese mm. language to be inculcated in African countries' education system. And I think there's an interesting tone here which people reacted to and we're going to get to we're going to turn over this interview to our to our followers mm. questions actually. So Kobus and I will stop asking our own questions. But I think it's this idea mm. that and Kobus talks about this, that things are being done to Africans, that Africans don't have agency. And when you said it's time for Chinese to start teaching Africans their language, it, it, for me it feels like there's a power imbalance here. Um, are you, you know, tell me a little bit about that language and the words you chose because do you, do you see what I'm saying where it feels like almost patronizing?
2: Yeah, it sounds like patronizing, but to some degree it's also a way of compelling these characters to appreciate the fact that uh, their language is really, there is some <clears> hunger <throat> for their language in Africa. It's not just about teaching, literal teaching, but also pushing these Africans, telling these Africans why it is important for also for them to, to learn this uh, Chinese language. So it's a way of uh, creating some pushing, some push, creating some push in a way that there is that hunger and thirst for this Chinese language in Africa.
0: Okay, well uh, now we're going to turn over the rest of our conversation to some of the many questions that were posed to you, Mark, and we're going to ask you to respond to individuals. Uh, Kobus, you have the first question coming from Simbrashe, who is uh, an African who lives in the United Arab Emirates. We've decided not to use last names, even though they are available on LinkedIn, but I just feel like It's a little bit Mm. creepy for us to kind of give last names and too much personal information. If you want to find out, go on the page. You can click on people's bios. Uh, Kobus Simbrache, what did uh, she have to say? Uh,
1: She said, when the Europeans came, they imposed their languages on us, and now the Chinese. Why can't those imperialists learn African languages?
2: Well, uh, I won't say that uh, by virtue that um, my article to some degree was pushing for Africans to learn the Chinese. I didn't insinuate in any way that uh, the Chinese cannot learn the African languages. And if you go to Nairobi today, you go to the many projects that the Chinese were doing. Uh, I'll tell uh, I'll give an example of two projects where I interacted with many Chinese and uh, one of them was uh, the 70-kilometer super high with uh, one of the major projects that the Chinese actually built in, sometimes back in 2008, I interacted with a number of the Chinese, and these guys were actually struggling to learn our languages, like uh, local languages like Swahili, they were also try as much as possible to speak our, even uh, uh, local tribes for that matter, like uh, Loya, like uh, Kikoyo for that matter. So, and uh, if you go to another example, you go to the standard gauge railway that was built, uh, the rail connection between uh, Mombasa and Nairobi, you'll interact with very many Chinese characters. Yes, they're not speaking very fluent, Swahili, but you can tell what they're speaking. So to okay. some degree, we'll... I'll say that, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, sorry um you know okay so it, it seems to me that in in um, statement there is a little bit of an of an undertone of victimization that there's something being imposed um on on Africa that there isn't that there isn't a uh, a feeling of, of equals, you know, kind of meeting on, on a regular playing field. Do you think that the fact that this language learning is happening in the context of these Chinese financed massive infrastructure projects is that in, in like strengthening that sense of, of having something imposed on you?
2: I'll say, for as a matter of fact, we are a disadvantaged continent. Of course, we have resources, but we may be lacking technical know-how we may be like lacking technology for that matter so we are in a in an equation we are somehow disadvantaged as far as uh, china and africa is concerned and because we are relatively disadvantaged it means that we have to cultivate some strategies that will see us get advantaged or be at the same level with this party that we are associating with, and in that matter, that is uh, China for that matter. So it is not being imposed as such. It is upon us as Africans now to agree on the fact that we need to learn this foreign language, and learning this foreign language is for our own selfish interest, to ensure that we get to understand the Chinese, we understand how, how to negotiate, how to enter into contracts, how we can, we can actually be negotiating with them as far as business is concerned. So in one way or another, we don't want a situation where there is information asymmetry in a contract and say, blame, there are interpreters, interpreters there and the interpreters did not do their work as was supposed to be done. Or we lost some meaning in some interpretation as far as our, our contract agreement or uh, negotiation was concerned. So we must accept the fact that we are a weaker player in this game and the best way to strengthen our our, our to strengthen our our, our 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 situation is to try as much as possible to learn the cultures of these people. Language is one of
0: them. Okay. Well, you talk about the selfish interest,
2: Cobus. Yeah. Do you remember a couple
0: months ago? Oh, it was a few months ago. Maybe it was six months ago. We interviewed a uh, a travel consultant in Kampala, Uganda, uh, and she was uh, saying how. Chinese businesses now are taking away opportunities from Africans simply because Africans are not catering to the needs of Chinese tourists. And I thought that was very, very interesting because they don't speak the language. They don't understand the culture. And it brought me back a little bit to last year uh, when I came to Johannesburg to see you and Witts University. And I went out to a safari. You know, there's a game park uh, a reserve about two hours outside of Johannesburg. And one of the things that was mm. interesting out there is that th- I asked the the manager of the park, I said, where do the mm-hmm. number one source of visitors come from? And he said, China now. This is the number one source of tourists at this game park. I said, well, mm. do you have anybody who speaks mm. Chinese? Because I don't see any signs in Chinese. Yeah. And he said, no. I said, but you're not offering any Chinese mm-hmm. food. If your number one source of visitors comes from one country, mm-hmm. you would think yes. it would be common sense that you mm-hmm. would actually build services mm-hmm. and have people to cater to them. There wasn't any. exactly, And I, I just, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I feel like it's so frustrating to me because people mm-hmm. talk about the Chinese taking things from Africa mm-hmm. and Africans and South yeah. Africans in particular. Mm-hmm. And yet Mm. here are these opportunities Mm. that are sitting right there and people aren't grabbing Mm. them. And so let me now, with this Mm. in mind, Mm. let me read you a question from Hamakwa in Zambia. What benefit Mm. are we as Africans will get from speaking Chinese? We were taught foreign languages because Mm. we were colonized. This time around, Mm. can we encourage one another to learn Africa's major languages such as Swahili? So there we go what is the Mm -hmm. benefit of learning chinese i can clearly see it if your number one trading partner and your number two source of foreign direct investment is from a certain country whether it's china japan korea you name it there is an interest in learning Mm. that language so what do you have to say to hamakwa
2: well um as you stated um uh the foreign direct investment and uh tourism revenues coming from china to many african countries they they actually High as compared to our traditional players like uh, the UK, like Germany, like France, for that matter, or United States. So to some degree, for the sake of us gaining more business, we need to learn Chinese. We need to embrace the Chinese, for that matter, as a language. But the most important thing that we need to do is to strengthen our negotiation power with these characters, with these uh, Chinese people, for that matter. So to some degree, if you look at the article Kinley, my drive is to see um, a more trade between China and Africa. And that can be done when we learn each other's language. So to Africa, there is a need to embrace the Chinese language because through learning the Chinese language, we are going to witness more trade and more investment flows and certainly more tourism revenues coming to us as Africas a continent.
0: Okay, our last question today from our message boards comes from Faluso in Johannesburg. And he says, uh, why do people always say Africans must do this and that? I never hear people say it's now the time for the Chinese to stop selling things to Africa or come to Africa or for the Chinese to speak African languages as they do business in Africa. It's like all Africans are 10-year-old children. So there you have it again, this idea that your article... May have been patronizing or condescending in some way, or this idea that the Chinese may have to, uh, you know, not have to learn the local languages is somehow, you know, treating Africans as if they're not at the same level. uh, You know, what would you have to say to Faluso?
2: As a matter of fact, we must agree to the fact that uh, we are not at the same level with China when it comes to the economic muscles that these two regions have. China is way ahead of Africa when it comes to their economic power. And the only solution to this is to ensure that uh, we create some form, some environment where our economic levels would, to some degree, grow up. Even if we don't catch up with China, but grow up in a way that uh, more development and poverty will be reduced in Africa. And the only way to do this is to push for some form of, in quotes, selfish interest that is more for on Africa. One of these selfish interests or selfish uh, goals that we need to push is for us to force ourselves, literally force ourselves to learn the Chinese language, learn other languages of other major uh, economic players in the world that will see some wealth or some benefits, some flows, some trade flows, some investment flows coming from those particular countries, coming from those particular continents to Africa. China, for instance, is a major player when it comes to to development of the world, for that matter. There are a lot of money coming from China to Africa, directly, indirectly, through trade, tourism, revenues, and such like stuff. So the best way to ensure that we empower ourselves economically as Africa, which is a disadvantaged economy, to ensure that we create or embrace some strategies that will see these flows increase. That is the only solution out there, and it is to embrace to some degree the Chinese culture.
0: Chinese should be taught in African schools, as the article is written by Mark Kapchanga. Who is a Nairobi based journalist and columnist for the Global Times newspaper, which is a Chinese newspaper? Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us and for providing your insights on what surprised me to be such a controversial topic. Did you think it was going to be this controversial, this sensitive when you wrote the article?
2: Well, I never expected this. I never even expected that we are going to have a discussion on such a topic. I thought it's just a flat discussion, Mm -hmm. a flat writing. But then again, here we are, and I think it's something that we need to talk further about it.
0: Yes, we do. And there's a great discussion going on over at LinkedIn. You can look me up on LinkedIn at Eric Olander, Mm O-L-A-N-D-E-R, and you'll see this. uh, Just search down the news feed, and you'll find Mark's article. And there's there's dozens of comments, uh, a lot of discussion. I have to say that although we read some very negative comments today, not all of the comments were negative. There were a lot of people who agreed with Mark and what he said. Mark, if people want to follow what you are reading and writing, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you?
2: They can follow me on Twitter at KAPCHANGA. That is K-A-P-C-H-A-N-G-A. I'm always available 24-7.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much, for and I appreciate your, uh, your time. Really seeing much again next time.
0: So, Kobus, I have to say I was as surprised as uh, as Mark was, as he said that, you know, about how sensitive an issue this was and how provocative this topic was. But it brings me back to our conversation that you and I had uh, maybe a year or two ago when the issue of teaching Mandarin in South Africa's curriculum came up. And it, too, was also uh, a really red-hot issue with so many people coming out and, and in opposition to the idea. And I guess, you know, as an American... It it is surprising to me, in part because in many parts of the United States, particularly the more affluent coastal areas, uh, Chinese is all the rage. And so lots of parents are hiring Chinese nannies. They're looking for their kids to go to Chinese schools. They're doing Chinese, you know, online learning at home. And, And it brings up this point for me of maybe it's not necessary for the masses to learn Chinese. Maybe it doesn't have to be in the national curriculum, but it has to be in the private school curriculum because he talked about how people, you know, African countries and African people need to be able to deal with their largest source of investment, uh, the tourism business, uh, and also at the governmental level. And a lot of those jobs are not necessarily going to be done by the masses. They will be done by elites. So maybe one way to look at this is that the discussion should be that it shouldn't be taught at the mass level, but maybe like the United States, it's a private school elite opportunity. What do you think of that?
1: I think that's quite realistic in the sense that it's, it's pretty much impossible to teach it at the mass level anyway in South Africa. And I think, you know, South Africa is, is considerably – has considerably more resources than many other African countries. The the big realistic question in South Africa is where are you going to find all of these Mandarin teachers and who's going to pay it? Well, that, that's paid for um, by the
0: Chinese. They bring them in. And through the Confucius Institutes and in the United States, the Chinese actually pay for the teachers to go over. So let's assume but, uh, that the Chinese are paying for the teachers –
1: Okay, but I mean, okay. So, so, the, so, f- for the moment, you know, the the reason I raise this is, is is Confucius Institutes only go so far. They they only serve elites, you know, who have access to universities already in South Africa. If you're teaching about widespread Mandarin, you need you need you have little villages that are 40 kilometers outside of a, a small town that has a little school, and so so that that is the level of of Mandarin. You know, teaching that—that—that uh, that, that I mean, but—but but for the moment, leave, leaving that for the moment, I agree with you that that in a certain way it it makes sense for it to be an elite thing to do, um, because the, because mass education in South Africa is already facing such challenges just to get maths and science and and English and you know kind of African languages taught. With I think part of the big pushback, uh, especially in South Africa, is the uh, is the fact that the the question falls into a wider debate of why, now, twenty years after democratisation, the mass of South Africans are still so so excluded from the centre of the action. In the economy, in the culture, they still are essentially marginalised from their own country. And the main reason for that is that so much of the discourse, so much of the important discourse is still happening in English. Um, And South Africa is essentially a country of second language speakers. Almost everyone, the the number of first language English speakers in South Africa is something like 5% of the population, even though it's officially an English-speaking country. So everyone in the country is coming to English from a slight disadvantage. And at the same time there is this this discourse of why isn't there being made more of of local languages especially against the background that one of the reasons why everyone is now learning Chinese in the first place is because China managed to pull off this feat of adding value to its local language. You know so so Chinese Chinese economic growth came largely from within a Chinese fueled engine rather than by imposing other languages from outside so there is this kind of nationalist discourse in south africa of why isn't a language like isiZulu being you know kind of being pushed more and and like why isn't local languages being having value added to them in order to, for a long-term development project which is we're talking about two different time scales um and i think there's a there's a a kind of a conflict that comes between those two approaches you can't really have both at the same time
0: well you know the arguments that I heard tonight from our readers and our followers on LinkedIn I have to say I didn't agree with most of them because I think they were from an emotional point of view And there was this sense of victimization. There was this sense where we don't see the worth in it. And I, listen, I'm somebody, I've been studying Chinese for 32 years. I speak French. Uh, So I'm really, uh, you know, quite biased in this argument because I think it's better for people to speak more languages just to understand the world around you. The one point that I do really sympathize with, and you touched on this in South Africa, and I think it's true in many parts of Africa, is the idea that, Parents are frustrated that the school systems are not delivering the basics well, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, and local languages. And the idea of then adding a complex subject like Chinese into the mix when the school system is already strained under limited resources and not delivering what it's supposed to do, that argument I am very sympathetic with. Because for me, that argument is rooted in fact it's not an emotional-based argument. This idea of, why don't they learn our language? Why don't they, you know, why are they victimizing us? And this, this hearkening back to colonialism, I think to me is, I'm impatient with that. I understand where it comes from. I absolutely understand where it comes from. But there's a pragmatic answer to this, which is that if you are trading with people from other countries and other cultures, it only behooves your country to have a certain select group of people who can actually deal with those people in their language again whether it's Chinese whether it's Korean whether it's French it doesn't matter to me but it only seems pragmatic that a certain segment of the population can engage those people from those different countries and cultures that's just you know that's uh-huh. my take on it
1: I, I agree with you, um, and, and especially on, on, a, on, a, on a pragmatic level, it makes a lot of sense to me. But at the same time, those emotions are coming from a from a, a real history, and, and we um, have to respect and that.
0: And we have to respect yeah. that.
1: And I do. I, so, I don't want to make And, and it I think. I, I, just, I think that- part of part of the frustration that that's that's coming out of these really, really vehement responses is uh, a feeling that there's always goalposts being moved for African development. So every time Africa catches up to some kind of externally set uh, criterion, th- there's a new one pops up. Um, so I think there's a there is a. a the, what underlies a lot of this is a feeling of powerlessness um, in relation to one's own development agenda, that the, the development agenda is always being pushed from outside for outside benefit rather than from African benefit. But wait think, a minute, though. So, so but there is victimization. Hold,
0: hold on. But, hold on. Let me let me stop you there, because I, maybe you're taking a very Afrocentric view of the world here. But is that any different than what Vietnam or what Bolivia or Ecuador have to deal with?
1: I don't know. Well, okay. I mean, is that think a developing... Those, those, those that's just the nature. Examples have different situations. But um, Because if you think of Vietnam, I mean, Vietnam still is... is I mean, I, I mean, you would know much better than I would, but it, it seems externally Vietnam is, is still an intact overlap between a language and a culture um, with its own script um, and everything, whereas a country like Bolivia is, is, is suffering from a similar situation as Africa, you know, and, uh, um, except for being... I think, closer integrated into a a Spanish-language community um, than many Africans find themselves. Um, Yeah, the the, the complications of of post-colonial life is so complicated in this this case. But I think, in, in a sense, Vietnam would actually count as a kind of a counterexample in the African sense.
0: Well, the Vietnamese, their largest trading partner is the United States. Uh, the Vietnamese are rushing to their kids to Saturday school to learn English, they are rushing into the evenings to learn English, it, it, it just, it's, only, it's pure pragmatism driving this. Their second largest trading partner is China, they are learning Chinese, They—you know there's just a pure pragmatism. My point about whether it's the same or different is that in many developing countries they are victims to the winds of globalization and capitalism, so there are forces that are out of their control. And and in many developing countries, there is a certain sense of pragmatism that says we have to go with the flow and and to adapt or else we will die because it's survival, really. And so there in some ways there is a luxury here of being able to argue about this. And and I just um, I just I wonder, you know, I mean, if China's presence continues to grow in Africa as it appears to be, if this will not be sustainable in the long run, you will need to have people on the ground who can engage and speak those languages, or else you have, as Mark said, that language asymmetry, which is potentially very costly.
1: I agree. I think I think this is a this is a big problem, um, and there's a, there's a need to balance all of these different emotional issues and development issues. Um, you know, in a pragma- pragmatic way, uh, in the short term and long term.
0: Well, what do you think we'd like to hear from you there's an incredibly vibrant conversation going on over on our linkedin page you can look me up at eric olander and you'll see uh if you scroll down the news feed there it'll be this 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 article as we mentioned earlier in the program join the conversation join the discussion let us know what you think are you in favor are you against uh it is a very complicated issue as you can see though Kobus uh, and I are both kind of linguists and globalists. Uh, I think the the Steve Bannons and the Donald Trumps of the world would despise our, our outlook, Kobus. But nonetheless, uh, we are who we are. Um, but although we do advocate for kind of speaking other languages and understanding other cultures, uh, I think both of us are very, very sensitive to the issues that are here and to the, to the concerns that are being raised uh, by the people in our community. And so I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that we are not respectful uh, of those opinions and those views because this is a highly emotional issue for a lot of people. So so we absolutely do respect that. Uh, so that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. Thank you so much for listening.